The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And with that, a big welcome to anybody who's here for the first time. My name's Mark Nunberg, and I'm one of the guiding teachers, along with Shelley Graff at Common Ground Meditation Center. And I'm hoping there are some people in the building, but I'm out at our retreat center and about 83 miles out of Minneapolis in western Wisconsin. Stacy McClendon, one of our teachers, and I just finished leading a weekend retreat Thursday night. It just ended a few minutes ago. Really nice to be with everyone. And I want to thank Wynn Fricke, my beloved, and also the co-founder of Common Ground, who taught last Sunday. I hope you caught it, but if you didn't catch Wynn's talk, I think it was on Wise Attention you can catch that on our YouTube channel, of course. Always, those talks are recorded and put there. And I've been giving a series of talks on freedom. It's really a wonderful topic. <laughs> this is one of those topics for suitable conversation that the Buddha mentioned, right? He wasn't so into politics. But definitely, you can talk to each other about renunciation and contentment and freedom <laughs> and a few other things that are worthy topics of conversation. So think about that. And we'll have an opportunity at the end um, to have small groups for anybody who wants to stay on from 11.45 to 12 noon. And either I or Shannon or Nancy will divide you into groups of three for that. But it's surprisingly powerful just to... I mean, it's a real shift in our heart to realize that that's a worthy aspiration, to be free. A lot of times when we conceive of freedom, it's it we can't help ourselves. We think about like being away from my duties and responsibilities, then I'll be free. Or not having a body, you know, and then I'll be free of my body. Or, you know, whatever it is. But the freedom the Buddhist teachings point to, and presumably the freedom the Buddha realized for himself is a freedom that doesn't depend on conditions, doesn't depend on getting away from our circumstances. Now that's a pretty radical notion that in a world like we live in, with the violence and the oppression and the uncertainty, both locally and globally, that we can, the heart can be unbounded and free and open and alive and loving and sensitive. That's that's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty powerful aspiration. And even if we have some vague intuition of that possibility, that is to be cultivated. And it's why I've been giving a series of talks since January on this topic of understanding freedom. What is the freedom? And today I wanted to talk specifically about the freedom to practice, right? which is like opposed to feeling destined to be the victim, destined to be helpless, to just let life happen to me and to do what I've done before and get the same results. And in one way or another, to be trapped by circumstance and trapped by my own habits and my own conditioning. So that's one way to live, feeling trapped and oppressed by everything that uh, constrains us. And the other way to live is to have this sense of freedom 
to transform my life, to transform my mind and heart. And we can have that sense, that intuition, the freedom to practice, even when we don't really understand what the practice is. And in a way, I, I mentioned this earlier in the day at this retreat that Stacy and I were leading that one way to understand the whole path is getting to understand, getting to understand the path better and better is the path, which means wherever we are in the path, we should have humility. Like, I don't yet fully understand what the spiritual path is. And that's why I practice to understand the path. So a lot of humility. And one set of teachings from the Buddha that I thought would be really useful for us to unpack today, um, and it you see it getting repeated in different ways all through the Buddhist teachings, but he said something like, abandon or abandoning what is unskillful, stop doing bad stuff, <laughs> Stop being evil, right? That's one instruction. The second instruction is to cultivate the good or engage what is skillful. And then the third instruction is to purify or purifying the heart. And that's in a way a very brief summary of all we have to do to be a happy, free, loving, wise human being. We need to abandon what isn't helpful, what is unskillful, we need to cultivate the good, and we need to purify the heart. So I want to talk about that and the freedom to do that. Like, I guess the point is, we have the capacity to do these three things. We have that freedom to either practice or to just go through the motions in life, sort of be driven by our habits and by a the habits that we just picked up through our cultural conditioning. And think about that. That That is actually meant to scare you and to scare me, right? To think of just doing the same thing, getting the same results. And I often bring up, like for me now, about to be 64 in a couple of weeks, when I think of the kind of conditioning I receive from my parents genetically, and for my culture, being raised in the late 50s and 60s, you know, around race, around gender, around class, around everything, how limited that conditioning is to be trapped, to simply repeat that over and over again, right? That sounds like a hell realm to some degree, at least. I'm not saying it was the worst or the... I'm just saying it's very limited, that kind of conditioning. And if that's all we could expect from life, is simply to be acting out our conditioning, it would be really dismal. So this freedom to practice is just that recognition that, yeah, this mind, this body has been conditioned by nature, by culture, by my parents, by my friends, by everything. And... That isn't the last chapter, you know. There's more to write. We can do something, right? Just being aware, just relaxing and being aware of my conditioning, getting triggered and playing itself out, that alone is so transforming. Just to realize that this heart and mind is a series of conditioned tendencies. 
And remember, whatever has been wound up, whatever has been conditioned, can be unconditioned, can be unwound. Right? And so in a way, Dharma practice, these teachings of the Buddha, the practices that we undertake, they are a way, it's like, it's a conditioning process that has the nature to allow unwinding. And so initially we're cultivating the good and abandoning the bad, but as we really get more and more sensitive about cultivating the good, it turns out the best thing to cultivate is the capacity for a full and complete unbinding of the heart. That somehow our heart, the conditioning that the heart needs to be skillful, to be wise, to be kind, is really the ability to show up in each moment in a really fresh, open, humble way. So that our response, like the skillful, kind, and wise response, isn't so much determined by past conditioning, which we have learned how to unwind, but it arises, like how to respond in this moment arises from the intimacy, from the connection that we have, the openness we have with what's happening in this moment. It's quite alive. And there's so much freedom, there's so much wonderful energy when we're not living based on our past conditioning, but we're living more and more from this wide open, intimate, sensitive awareness. You know how that is sometimes? I'm seeing some of you, and I know you have children, the people I see on my screen. And we all know how it is with our loved ones, whether it's children or partner or a good friend, a sister, brother, whatever. When we're with them and we're just, we can't help ourselves, we're just sort of doing the same, getting the same results, like we're trapped in the loops of our relationship, the very deep, well-greased loops. And we say sort of the same thing and we react in the same ways, so does the other person. And we can even have some space of wisdom there that's saying, this is no way to live a human life, you know, being on autopilot, doing the same thing, getting the same results. But we don't have enough clarity enough presence to be free of our conditioning. That takes some practice. And it's it just starts with this, you know, the first stage we could say of this practice is the ability to recognize the force of habit. That's the start. And to recognize the force of habit and to not be swept away by it. That's the sort of, you know, where we're going with that, this first stage. It's all about honestly appreciating the force of habit, the force of conditioning, without embarrassment, without self-hatred, without pride of, you know, maybe we have a few good habits. We don't want to be, because it's not personal. They're just, yeah, they're there because of causes and conditions. They're there because of the conditioning process. So we want to be able to sense honestly the force of habit Feel the impulse to say this, to do this, to not say something, to, to be quiet. So whatever the force of habit is, we can feel it. We can be aware of it. We can relax with it. And then choices are there. 
But the choice of what, how to respond in a moment is only there when there's awareness. If there's not awareness, we're basically on autopilot. And whatever the strongest intention that's gotten triggered, that intention of the mind acts out. That tendency the mind acts out. But when there's this mindful presence, the mind sees the impulse, the predominant impulse. Maybe it's not so skillful. Wisdom and awareness sees that it's not so skillful. It's like almost like we're tasting the intentions that are getting triggered. I really want to do the zinger to this person because they hurt my feelings. And I want to say this thing. I'll couch it as if it's a joke, but I really want them to hurt, you know. And because there's that non-judging, clear, sensitive presence, we taste that intention and we go, that's not kind, that's not wise, that doesn't set in release and freedom, that sets emotion more entanglement. And so we have then, we learn actually this capacity to refrain, like I can feel the impulse, I can feel that it's there, it's sort of like about to moment, the wanting to say something, the wanting to do something, but I know how to feel that in my body, in my heart, in my mind. And that's the thing, we can feel the fruit of karma, right? Karma meaning that tendency is there because of previous causes and conditions. Nothing we can do about it because the causes and conditions were from the past. They're showing up now as this impulse. But what we can do about it is we can recognize it with awareness. Oh, there's this impulse. It feels like this. Can I be with this? Yeah. I can't make it go away, but I can be with it. And in being with it, I can recognize, hey, there's some other intentions, not as loud as this one, not as forceful as this one that I'm just being with, feeling and not acting out. But I notice because I'm not acting out this intention, I can see this this whole field of other possibilities of how I might respond, who I might be in this moment. Oh, maybe I'll let this intention, this other intention, come into action. And I'll speak out of that or act out of that intention. Because that intention I trust. I taste that one. I feel into that motivation. And it seems like it's coming from a kind and wise place. As much as I can tell, I'm not going to pretend I'm arrogantly certain that it's skillful. It's just my sense. So this art of sensing the skillfulness and unskillfulness of our motivations, our intentions, it's not a perfect science. It's like our conscience. We're listening to the heart. This is all we got. But it's not nothing. This is something that we, the past, shows up as the conscience, the, the, how we sense, how we feel into the different motivations and intentions that are getting triggered, that are getting activated here. And I want to just repeat this because a lot of times we want to feel ashamed by the kind of motivations or intentions that we have come up. Like I notice, I, whenever I read the news about what's going on in Ukraine, I really see these motivations of just wanting to get in there and to blow up the bad guys. You know, real violence, like, you know, yeah, people shouldn't be allowed to be aggressors. We need to, we need to destroy the aggressors. 
you know. And uh, I mean, it makes sense on some level. I am not saying it doesn't make sense, which is why that conditioned pattern is there. That's what we do. We meet power with power, you know. And then we get a world where the one with the most power dominates, right? Because that only works, you know, when you've got more power. And when you don't, then you're the victim. And you have to do what the one who has more power says. So I'm not saying I have an answer for the conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. I'm just saying I'm noticing this impulse and I'm not sure I trust it. Right? It's, I, I feel the push, like, oh yeah, let's get rid of the bad guys, destroy them. And the same thing here being at the retreat center, I noticed there are ants everywhere in the building. Not a ton, but like in the bathrooms, where we eat, in the living room area. I haven't seen them in the meditation hall yet, but, you know, just little tribes of ants walking around doing their thing. And again, it's just like, I want to smash them. I don't really want to smash them. I want to use poison. <laughs> and, uh, and I, but I see, I sense that quality and I don't trust it. Like, oh, so that's what we're going to do. Just kill living beings because they bother me. And, uh, and I'm so glad I have this capacity to pause. What other options are there? What other ways are there to be relating? When I re read the news about Ukraine or when I see the ants in the building or any number, probably each of us have between 10 and 10,000 things, irritants <laughs> that are active. And when we're irritated, we just want to destroy the cause of the irritation. That's often our first impulse, not to befriend it, not to be patient, not to be curious about what else is here, but just to get rid of the damn thing. How can I get rid of it? And uh, no, no surprise that we have a world like this, right? When that's the impulse, when we see something that scares us. And just think about this in all kinds of little and big ways in our lives. So that's why we have to learn, like the first step is to really learn to trust the sensitivity of the heart. A lot of you know we call this hiri otapa. Those are the Pali words for what we might call conscience. And it's how the past informs the present. And it's this capacity that is only there when we're present present moment awareness, then it's, we have this capacity to, in a sense, taste or feel the skillfulness or unskillfulness of these impressions, these tendencies, these intentions, these motivations. What's that feel like? Do I trust what that feels like? And it basically, we're sort of tasting like, out of what view does this arise and what kind of seeds does this plant in my heart and an end in the world? Or as the Buddha told his son, Rahula, when he was a young boy, his son ordained as a novice monk, and he was like seven or eight, and the Buddha gave this talk. And he said, before you act with your words or your actions, or even with your thoughts, before you think something, say something, or do something, Reflect, like, will this be for my own well-being, for the well-being of others, for the well-being of both? Why you're 
thinking why you're saying something, why you're doing something, reflect. Is this for my own well-being, the well-being of others, the well-being of both? After you've thought something, said something, done something, reflect. Was this for my own well-being, the well-being of others, the well-being of both? Now that sounds a little oppressive, like, oh my God. But this is like uh, really understanding the value of spiritual life is when we realize that as oppressive as it sounds to be caring about the seeds we're planting before we do something, while we're doing something, after we've done something, we only realize the value when we understand how dangerous it is not to do that. To basically be living as if it doesn't matter what we think, what we say, and what we do. But we definitely plant seeds, not just in our heart, but in the world around us. And once we start to realize that it is a little, there is maybe the right way to say it, there is an appropriate fear. We may not want to be responsible for our own heart and for the world we live in, but we are responsible for the, our heart and the world we live in. It does matter. And this freedom to practice that I'm talking about today really starts with the sense of responsibility. And fortunately, it doesn't end here. Because the responsibility is a heavy trip, it's just so much lighter than pretending we're not responsible. And the life that follows from thinking, believing that we're not responsible, that our actions don't matter. That is so much more a heavy existence, an entangled and heavy existence, than becoming this moral human being that rather not, but realizes nonetheless, it does matter. So I'm going to own it. I'm going to start to pay attention as if it matters, because that's what life has taught me. It does matter. So I'm going to feel into that. What do I do? Because it matters, what do I do? And the second stage is to realize that the more we invest in that sensitivity, even though it's really intense to be a sensitive human being, to feel moved by the big things like what's going on in Ukraine, What's going on with the Uyghur people in, in China? What's going on with racism in the United States? You know, in our cities, in our communities. It's not easy for us to be willing to be sensitive to the suffering in our own heart, in our own body, and all around us. And to feel responsible responsible to be sensitive and responsible to be sensitive to all of our motivations in terms of how we think and speak and act. But we realize this is the only way forward. And But the more we do that, it becomes who we are. We become, in a sense, that extremely, powerfully sensitive human being who cares who's been discerning what's helpful, what's not helpful, who's been tracking cause and effect, following the dots. When I relate in this way, what gets set in motion? When I respond to injustice in this way, what gets set in motion? 
Do things get worse? Do things get better in my heart and those hearts around me? We learn. And eventually, we begin to feel, sense, a kind of effortlessness. So we're still totally into being a wise and kind and caring, you know, tender human being. But it's just a second nature. It doesn't feel like I'm kind of wrangling with the reptilian brain that just wants to get in there and destroy the enemies. Because we can begin to decondition the mind. It takes time to uproot the tendencies. But wisdom is a powerful force. It isn't just that we restrain or refrain those sort of less wise, unskillful tendencies. It's wisdom really provides some immunity or some uprooting. I'm not even sure what to call it, but it really changes the game. The wisdom that understands how empty of self everything is. See, as long as I think I'm an animal and I'm a beast and I'm afraid of dying, right, that strong, unquestioned conviction provides some fuel for this conditioning, these habits that justify aggression, justify self-hatred, justify all kinds of destructive behaviors, internal, external behaviors. But the more we cultivate the sensitivity to what's skillful and unskillful, the more we see the deeper and bigger, wider picture, that it's just nature. And then all of a sudden it becomes much easier to be a wise and kind human being. As long as we have this sense of me as this permanent edifice of conditioning, of animal conditioning, of raw hunger and raw desire and raw hate, and you know, we have all these fixed ideas of who we are and we refuse to be humble and just to check out who we are in a fresh way. And when we do, and this is called doing our Dharma practice, when we cultivate awareness, we recognize awareness, we keep recognizing awareness, what it reveals is that things are what they are, but it doesn't refer back to that sense, that edifice of me, I, me, and mine. And then all of a sudden, it's just so much easier to refrain from those heavier, unskillful tendencies of the mind. Oh yeah, that's that tendency. You know, that's just sexual attraction. Okay, that feels like this. That's just wanting to punch that guy. And that feels like this. We're not surprised. And because those intentions arise because they're conditioned into the mind stream, but wisdom understands it's just that tendency. When I think it's me then I feel like i got to do something about it. But when I realize it's just what it is, it's just an impulse being known. It's not more than that. And that impulse to be unskillful, to complain, to gossip, whatever the unskillfulness is, that impulse to be unskillful doesn't refer back to anything. It's just that experience being felt and being known. And when wisdom knows that, it's so much easier just to let it be. And it's there, and then it goes. 
those despicable tendencies of our heart, you know, the embarrassing ones, they come and go. They only stick around when the mind mistakenly takes them personally, grasps them as self, as me, I, me, and mine. And once they're grasped as I, me, or mine, then I'm going to do something about it because I'm feeling this way. That's me feeling this way. Of course I'm going to scheme and try to get even. Maybe I won't do it in an obvious way. I'll wait, you know. I'll get my just desserts, or they'll get their just desserts, right? But it's so nice to see that these strong, weightful, karmically weightful tendencies to hit back, to insult, to resent, to be afraid, to be longing and in need, that they're just what they are. They are experiences that are being known. And that's really that third part of practice that we did during the sit today, you know, that allowing, allowing nature to be nature, not less than what it is, but definitely not more than what it is. It's just experiences, motivations, intentions being known. It's those two things, an experience being known. Not more than that, not less than that. But that's so, I want to use the word thin. And we can check right now as we finish up our time this morning. You know, when we look at our experience, there's something very thin here about the present moment. You know, the idea of me and all my conditioning and all my habits and my aging body and this and that and duties and responsibilities. It just feels like this whole morass of meanness and mindness and I-ness. But actually that's not the way it is right now. In terms of, our, now I'm not talking about metaphysical truth, I'm just talking about our subjective experience right here and now. It's something being known. And there's nothing before that and there's no future after that. There's only always something being known. There is no past. The past exists as an idea being known here and now. Like, oh yeah, that happened yesterday. That's a thought here and now. There's nothing before that thought, nothing after. So I'm saying this as a reflection. I encourage you to look at the present moment as something very thin, very empty of a past, empty of a future. Past and future are thoughts that arise and cease here and now. There is actually nothing in front of you and me. There is actually nothing behind you and me. We just think there is here and now. And that's just a thought being known, and it's a pretty ephemeral event. Oh yeah, no, no, I've got my whole past behind me, being known. No, no, I've got tomorrow and then the next day, and that's a thought being known. There's feeling and sensation here and now being known. Mental constructions being known here and now. This really helps us to be a moral being, to really care, to be fearless in engaging the worlds we live in. And we can see this the same with other people too. They're just something being known. And it really helps us to do the right thing in the world. 
it's less sticky because of fear and because of craving. And when it comes right down to it, you know, either we're going to be in this ignorant allegiance to being in control, you know, we're taking things personally, and out of that comes the, the real strong need to be in control, to define things, to blame someone, even if it's ourself, you know, self-hatred. Or we can be in allegiance with being wide open. An allegiance with the understanding that comes from being open versus in allegiance to the understanding that comes from some sense of being in control. And the thing about any attempt at control, any con attempt at finding safety through locking things down, it just leads to anxiety and fear because we can never do it. And on some level, the heart realizes the world, nature, experience isn't built for certainty. It just isn't there in any way. So any kind of those chronic conditioned attempts to lock it down by getting into shape or saving money or making people love us in the way we want to be loved, it will always have an underbelly of anxiety and uncertainty. We're setting ourselves up for more suffering, planting seeds. So we have this freedom to practice. And to remember that just to relax is a real affront to this devotion to certainty, right? Because relaxation means we're relaxing when things aren't yet certain. Well, I'm not going to wait until things are perfect. I'm going to relax now. I'm going to soften my body now. And this Devotion to awareness, recognizing awareness, keep recognizing awareness. This deep devotion, falling in love with being wide open and sensitive, really embracing sensitivity. What's the heart feeling? What's going on? What's the heart need? This is the devotion to opening to this relaxation and recognizing awareness and realizing that the heart can allow things to be. It's so powerful. So nice to be with everyone. Take care. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.